I'm happy to share this week's show sponsor, Cubicle to CEO, is one of my new favorite podcasts. Cubicle to CEO, led by Ellen Yin, is a mentorship-focused media company on a mission to make mentorship accessible to the masses so all women everywhere can pursue what's possible. Love that. In corporate America, Leadership Mentor helped me to quickly develop ways to level up my skill set for an upcoming promotion, so I am a mentorship believer. You know I started a personal brand and began podcasting last year. So I'm sharing this info about Cubicle to CEO with you because I only wish I had known back then about Ellen's weekly show and mentorship programs to guide and encourage me in those early kind of rough days. Her case studies, for example, are both inspirational and actionable. I recently listened to episode 143, which goes into the details of how the fabulous Dr. Tarika Barrett, the CEO of Girls Who Code, recently pivoted during the global pandemic and achieved enrollment increases from 1,600 to 5,000 students. Want to use the best income growth strategies from top entrepreneurs and CEOs, including Ellen herself? You can binge listen to past income reports on Cubicle to CEO today, plus receive free access to your first 10K month masterclass and a bonus workbook by going to our special link, zen.ai slash curious CEO. That's zen, Z-E-N dot A-I slash curious CEO. Welcome to the My Curious Colleague podcast with your host, me, Denise Veneri. We'll be talking all things consumer relations with a focus on consumer product goods organizations and the brand specialist and analyst roles and responsibilities. So if you like CPGs like I like CPGs, marketing, insights, and caring deeply for your consumers, well, take a listen. Hello, my curious colleagues. In this episode, my guest is my colleague, Beth Zip, Executive Vice President of Customer Engagement at Premier Response and longtime leader in consumer care. And today we're talking CX metrics in the contact center. Hi, Beth, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Denise. Hello. I am so excited to be chatting with you today. Same here. Same here. Well, let's get into it and let's start with you sharing a little bit about yourself for the one or two people who are not familiar with you. <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> okay. So let's see. It all began when I was six years old and a little, no, uh, I think a lot of people say that. Uh, but actually, my service journey of all things began when I was part of this airline called People Express Airlines. I don't know if you remember that. A lot of people don't, but some do, right? You do, yay. And, and it, was, um, it was very fascinating because the concept behind the airline was really all about customer service and everyone was an owner and you were empowered to take care of the passengers, the people, and you did a little of everything. Everybody did everything. It was very cool. And we had significant training on service and what that meant and the ex- customer experience. And it was so cool, which really shaped my career going forward. And I was in the airline industry and telecommunications and financial services, all service in building service organizations, small ones to very large ones. And one day, well, at a conference of uh, customer care professionals called SOCAP, which I'm sure everyone knows, right? Society of Consumer Affairs Professionals, all of our colleagues are a part of that, an amazing networking organization. Um, Two two other colleagues and I were talking and said, you know, let's start a company. 
Why? Alcohol was clearly involved. Who does that? Who, who is doing those kinds of things? So that was back in 2005. And we actually did it. We built a company called Premier Response. And we said, you know, we're going to be niche. We're going to be boutique. We're going to reach out to companies who maybe they have a big name, but a small need. Maybe they need three to five people helping consumers. They don't need hundreds and thousands. We're, we're not that model. And maybe it's a nurse or an esthetician or a technician or a very skilled representative. So it's someone more niche and boutique than just your average transactional stuff, even though we still do that too. And that's how we started the company. Um, we were very lucky. We got into crisis support at that point. One of our clients or someone we knew who actually they didn't really want to be our client. They were very small, but then something happened and they had a recall and they needed our help. And that's kind of got us into that business. That's a story for another time. Um, but then we had a client who was about eight seats or so, an electronics company, and they said, you know, we want to grow to 40 seats. And we were like, ah, we need more space. What are we going to do? How do we do that? Um, do we pay payroll this week or do we expand? <laughs> we have to pay payroll. You got to take care of your people. Um, and at that point, we were looking for some suitors. And we found this company called American Customer Care, privately held, um, who agreed to buy us but allow us to keep our name and be a wholly owned division. So we've been part of that organization since 2009. And so now we have a depth and breadth of services that includes transactional all the way to all of our premier stuff. And people actually ask for our, our by name. I want that premier thing, which is kind of cool to, to have that recognition. And, and we support consumer packaged goods, companies, food and beverage, healthcare, and a little bit of electronics. And that's kind of what we've been doing all of all of these many, many years. So um, my jazz and why I still love to do this after all this time is I love to be able to create, to rethink how we do things, reimagine things, always looking for the next thing. How can we um, grow our industry? How can we change? How can we move with the times? Who thought that we would go to toll-free numbers? Then we would go to email. Then we would go to chat or text and video conversations. You couldn't have imagined that 10 years, 20 years ago. So as we think about where we were and where we're go, where we've been and where we're going, it's really cool. And that's what excites me about doing what I do. So my long-winded way to say, here, that's me. Here's who I am. Yeah. Great to see you and meet you if I don't already know you. <laughs> well, I appreciate that because I needed some clarity on, on, uh, on a couple of things. And interesting that you were talking about all the different things that has happened. Now, you forgot to mention good old social media, which I know oh. is in the mix. But, but it's what I lo love about you. And I think that you continue to always think about what's next. Um, you know, what's the future? And you're always kind of wanting to know. You're very curious. So that's why I'm interested in getting your point of view on, on today's topic um, and wondering what, what's recently informed your point of view on consumer contract metrics? You know, so it's been very interesting over these past couple of years with um, shifting how we do things. Yeah. And we were a very much of an in-office company. You have to work in the office, be there, um, very little work from home, a little bit, but not a lot. And I was never a proponent of work from home. I'm like, you've got to be there. You've got to get together. It's very important, all this stuff. And then, of course, the world changed. And we changed with it immediately. Within a week, we had over a thousand people working from home. And we would meet every week and talk about, uh, we have a committee called the Return to Office Committee. We're still meeting. We still haven't returned to the office. It's two years later, going to be two and a half years later. And we're still 
uh, not in the office. And we've somehow pivoted to be able to work from home, make it seamless, make it like you're back in the office. We haven't lost a beat. We probably see each other more now than we ever have. But all of that got me thinking about, well, if we can shift that and, you know, we're so busy worrying about how, how many calls is somebody taking and how, what is happening with that? And, and, but it became like a, to me, that was like drudgery. That was not what was exciting people when we were talking to them about performance. When we talked to people about performance and trying to get them to be more empathetic and to care more about what they're talking about, it wasn't how many of something can you do, it was how you were doing that thing, which led me to do some little research about, well, what do customers think about that? And we introduced something, We've done, we did this pre-COVID, but it's, it's become more prevalent during COVID, which is a, a customer satisfaction survey. I'm sure many companies do that. Um, we happen to use a tool called Stella Connect, which um, allows people to give instant feedback, sort of like an Uber, you know, like a five-star thing, and you can give a star and say why. But in the course of that, there was a discovery made. Number one, reps like it because they instantly see the feedback, it gets them performing. So that was good. People were telling them you were doing well, but it wasn't because you were faster or better or how many you did. It was because you solved their problem. So there was that. But the other thing about those results that to me was very interesting was that some people were saying, well, Susie was lovely. She was really nice, but she didn't solve my problem. Or Susie was lovely and really nice, but your policies are terrible. Right, right. Or this seems like a form letter and you're making me contact you again. So all of that got me to sort of do a lot of research about this. And I'm, I'm thinking we're not measuring the right things. So that was sort of the genesis of why I started to get into this and really investigate. I can keep going if you want, because I'll tell you what happened next. But, um, let's continue with the start. My next question was going to be about the impact of the work from home, but I think yeah. let's meld it all together. What what happened next? <laughs> <laughs> You're thinking, and you know, I can see the smoke coming out of your your uh, your image over there. What happened next? Do tell. So it's interesting because I I decided to sort of look at you know, what are, what are we measuring and why are we doing it this way and talking to our clients about it? Because everyone was always, okay, we did this Stella Connect survey about CSET. Like, well, can I add a question about Net Promoter? How likely are they to recommend? And based on that experience with the rep. So we asked that question. People have been asking Net Promoter for a long time. Um, but okay, so you ask that question and you get a score and you get an answer. So now I'm thinking, well, I don't know. You know, again, I still don't understand... And let me back up a little because people were also saying to us, well, you know, they're talking too long on the phone or they're not talking long enough or I don't care how long they're talking um, or, well, you're not answering fast enough. Why are you abandoning these calls? People are waiting. And I know we're talking telephony, but we could apply the same thing to social responses or to email. You know, is it fast enough? Is it complete enough? All of those things. And as I'm looking at all of this, I'm saying, you know, the customer does not care. And especially in COVID times, it's interesting because they don't care. They were willing to wait. Everybody was at home. Everybody's contacting you in some way, but they're, they're there. You know, they're doing other, might be multitasking, but it's okay. It was more about completeness of the interaction. Okay. So I, I start to do some research and I find this article and believe it or not, it was from 2010. And I know that's a while ago, but it was shocking to me. It was a Harvard Business Review article. And it was shocking to me because I know that my peers, as I reached out and asked them, 
have not been using this. And I actually was like asking everyone, have you heard of this? And what about customer effort? Do you know this thing called customer effort? It's been around, it's not anything new. It yes. was published in 2010 about effort impacting loyalty and it's a better predictor of, of loyalty and repurchase intent and all of that stuff. But no one was using it. No one, no one that I know was measuring it. Out of a hundred companies, zero were measuring customer effort. That's shocking to me. These are big name companies, I, iconic brands that are in everyone's homes. No one was looking at effort. This got me thinking. Huh. <laughs> I'll keep going. I can go for three days, Denise. One question, three days. Metrics. Um, yeah. So, you know, you were talking about, like, I heard speed to answer, length, yeah. of, length. Um, well, call time, call call time, some of those very, you know, traditional tried and true metrics. Now you're, now you're exploring this customer effort score. <clears throat> so what does that, what does that look like? Is that in combo with, with your traditional CSTAT and the NPS you talked about in a promoter school score? <laughs> is it on its own? How might you, well, maybe I should back up. How is it from a big picture? And then what, let's get into the details after that, Beth, because mm-hmm. you know I like the details on my curious sure what would the question look literally look like and its responses so okay the big so if you think about it if you think about it in terms of sort of the consumer's experience right yeah what matters to the customer right what matters um to the customer when it comes to contacting a company what's important and people don't really want to have to contact you more than once or in more than one channel although we create that drama and make them do that but that's a thing People don't want to be treated like a number, and yet all we measure are numbers. People don't want to repeat information. And how many times have you contacted a company where they ask you for stuff up front, then you get connected to somebody and they ask you the same things all over again, right? And people don't want to have to make the effort to resolve the issue. They're contacting you, solve the problem. So these are the things that customers are saying, consumers and customer, I use that interchangeably, This is what they're saying. And yet, what are we measuring? We're measuring how fast we're doing something, how efficient we are. We're measuring operational things. And I understand people have budgets and people don't want to overstaff, right? So there's a place for operational metrics like that, the numbers. They're behind the scenes when you're doing your planning and your budgeting and saying, this is the volume coming at me, or this is what I want to support. This is how many people I need to handle that. That's for that. That's not to tell you about the experience of the customer. The experience of the customer are things like, how hard or easy was it to do business with us? That's the question. And based on how easy or difficult it was to do business with us, how likely are you to continue doing business with us? And would you tell a friend or a family member how great it was because of your experience? Oh, and by the way, how was that individual that you talked to today or interacted with? So that holy grail, those three are really going to give you that full story because you're now you're answering the need of the consumer, which is, I only want to talk to you one time. I only want, I don't want to be a number. I want you to know who I am and I want you to help me. I have to tell you, Denise, I had an experience um, just this week and it's actually very relevant to what we're talking about. I'm going to share it with you with a, a mattress company. It's not even my client. I wish it was my client, but it was a mattress company. And I purchased this mattress a few months ago and they have like a six month guarantee. Uh, If you're not happy, you can exchange it. And 
you know, you go to a mattress store to try, sleep, lay on a mattress, right? You're, it's like Goldilocks. This one's too soft. This one's too hard. It's, it's a nightmare. I, you lay on the mattress for 10 minutes. You're so uncomfortable. I don't want to lay on a strange mattress. No, so I pick a mattress. It is like a rock. It's like sleeping on the hardest, like sleeping on your phone. It's like hard as a rock. It's horrible. I, I can't. And I'm telling myself it's going to get firmer. It's this memory foam thing, but it's not a that brand of memory foam that everyone knows. It's a different one. Anyway, so I, I might have to name the company because that's how good they were. I called this company a few days ago and I, I'm like, I'm sorry. I just, it's not, it's too firm. Yeah. First of all, they knew who I were. They were, I was from my phone number. So they greeted me. Nice. Hi. Mrs. Ziff, they said, and I'm like, you can call me Beth. I was blown away. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry you're having that experience. We have, a, and they gave me two solutions. The first solution is they're sending me immediately a three inch foam topper. They said, let's try this first before we exchange your mattress. We can exchange it an inch time you want, but let's give this a go. We find this works beautifully. I will have it out to you. You'll have it in seven days. Are you at the same address that we have on file? Uh -huh. Oh my God, mind blown. It was like a three minute interaction followed by a confirmation email a, thanking mm -hmm. me and talking to me about mattress levels and firmness and blah, 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 and all this stuff. Plus mm -hmm. um, a tracking number for the thing they're sending me followed by a quick survey. How did the, William was the person? How did William do? Let me tell you, I was like, oh my God, low effort. They yeah. knew who I was. They're solving my problem. We'll see if that really works out. To be continued, that'll you'll have to invite me back to tell you if my mattress is good. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and immediately with all those things. And so, of course, I couldn't answer it fast enough because I'm a, I always answer every survey. Mm. I love to see if they're going to respond to me. They rarely do. But right. so how cool was that? Like they that to me, that was a, a perfect example of CSAT, Net Promoter. I'm telling you, the company, I'll tell you. Should I tell you the name? Look, that's the that's yeah. It's called Satva, S-A-A-T-V-A. S-A-A-T-V-A, Satva. You can buy them online. They have a couple of stores here and there. They're a little higher end, but you know what? I, I'm all about the service experience. Yeah. How great is that? So they, they did all the right things. And, and just even knowing who I was and all of that, I know I've heard companies tell me, oh, we can't, we collect this information, but we can't let them know we know who they are because it's creepy. Sure. It's not that creepy because the reality is everyone knows who everyone is. So why wouldn't we have recognition if it is someone who we know? We've taken the time to capture info. Why wouldn't we acknowledge? Right. Oh, I see I'm speaking with Denise. May I call you Denise or Ms. Veneri? Is this you? Well, you know, something, something proper. Why not? It's right? a personalization. And if you were the one who gave them the information, right. um, it's not that creepy. Right. Um, and I gave them permission. I opted in. So I know you asked that question. We all asked that question, right? Contrast that with a car company that I had to call who asked me the same questions five times, who was not helpful at all, gave me different information every time I contacted them. I'm like, Ooh. I mean, you, we all have those horror stories. I'm looking for the good ones, but we all yeah. have that. So it's not that complicated. And there are examples out there of people who are trying to do things the right way and people who are not doing them the right way at all, mm -hmm. who are making it very hard to do business. Um, but you know the ones that are trying to tell you the right thing. Like you could look at somebody's website, for example, and some sites will say to you, if you want a fast, fast answer, um, you know, you could text us because it works on the go and we're gonna get to you right away. And they're, they're beefing up their texting. 
if you want to take your time with a response, email us because they're trying to do away with that or they're saying, that, you know, it's going to be a slow channel. If yeah. you have, you know, God forbid it's a foreign object or an emergency or something, call us. Then we want a high, high touch, right? So I love when companies are thoughtful about that and they're saying, here's what we do best. Here's how we do best. We're a big ship, but if you want to connect, here's the best ways to do that. That's brilliant. And then they can measure that on the back end because they're directing people. And now they can tell a more complete, truer story, I think, to their marketing teams, their, their C-suite, all of it, because they're directing consumers. Consumers will follow those directions most for the most part. And, and they can measure that. It's not like a pie in the sky. Oh, we think we hope we're loyal. We're building loyalty. We can show you we're building loyalty. Yeah. I need to take a pause there because what you've just done for me is blown up the whole the whole idea of meet the consumer where they are, which I still think is valid. But if the consumer comes to your website, one cannot assume that they're going to go to the contact us page and go use that or the email, dedicated email. And you're letting the consumer really choose the channel versus just trying to, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's so fascinating to me that a lot of companies are, uh, stunned or surprised. I actually had a senior person at a company. I can't, I can't call them out and say who the company was, but they, they, a very large, large, large consumer packaged goods company. Okay. And the senior person who wasn't the CEO, but he reported to the CEO came to visit and said, I don't know why people are contacting me. I don't want anyone to contact me. Nothing should be escalated to me. How do they get to me? I said, I can find you in one click on the internet. Do you think if you say, don't call me, they're not going to call you? They want to call you. They're going to call. How do you, you can't do that. Now, if you want to empower the front line so that they're not upset with your processes and policies, then you will not get those conversations. But if you are putting a box around what we're able to do, don't be shocked if somebody decides they want to start with you because we've trained consumers how to behave. We've trained them that the front line can't answer the question. You must escalate or go public and go social because that's what gets the most attention because companies decided, oh, shiny object, social, let's get out there because it's one to many and I must connect and I, you know, okay. we have to be consistent. You I'm, can find anybody. Uh-oh. Isn't that fascinating? <laughs> I'm thinking of a couple of things I don't I know, I know, I know, but it's true. It's the same thing with yeah. people saying, I don't want you to have my information. Anyone who has a cell phone, guess what? Everybody has all your information, whether you want them to or not, right? It's it's just it's just mind blowing to me. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and by the way, it doesn't matter how old you are, young or old. Everyone always also says, "Oh, the older people can't use the technology." That's I call BS on that one. That's not true. Okay. My eighty-seven-year-old mother-in-law absolutely can work her iPad and her cell phone and text and be on uh, DM me on things. I'm like, why are you DMing me? Just call me. <laughs> You know, it's very funny. She's showing off. Yeah, yeah. But guess what? Any age group. Yeah. But companies are stuck in a little box. I know I'm getting way off, not trying to go way off, but it kind of is all related to me, to effort, net promoter, CSAT. Because if you're not thinking that way and you're not thinking holistically about experiential metrics, as opposed to these hard data metrics, you're going to miss the boat. We're moving. It's shifting. And we got to bring everybody there. Mm -hmm. No, I think the philosophy is very important at that high level. Let's bring it down to the details for, for our curious colleagues. 
let's talk about the customer effort score. What, what exactly is the question and how would the responses and the scales look like? What would the question be? Let's let's start there. So what you're trying to determine is how the customer is feeling about the whole experience. So the question might be, there's many ways you could ask, how easy was it to solve your problem today? How easy was it to get the answer to your question? Did you have to take extra steps to get a response from us? Um, those are yes, no questions, right? Or scale questions. And you could use whatever, you can use any scale you want. I just recommend that you always use the same scale for each question. Don't use a 10 point for one and a five point or a seven for another. Mm -hmm. Make it either five or seven points. I'm not sure why you're using a 10 point scale. Some statisticians will tell you that it's more important to do that. You know, it's either we helped you or we didn't. And then those other little degrees. And if they're neutral, that's really a no. So one, two, three are not good. Four, five, six are okay. But you know, what's the difference between four and five? We might, or four, five, six, if you're on a seven point scale, right? We may go, we may have a long discussion, you and I, about what's the, what's, are you a five or are you a six? I may make it a five, you may say it's a six, and we both think it's the same thing, right? So to me, I like it to be a tight scale so you understand and it's pretty clear when you're using scales. Yeah. Assume it's a five point. Yep. Yeah. So it's like on the, on the one end, it's one is it was difficult. So you might say difficult. Okay. And the five might be easy as pie. If it depends how fun you are, you know, easy yeah. as pie, great experience, right. easiest. Easy. If it's everybody right. does different things. Yeah. And sometimes they brand it based on a specific brand and yeah. what's that voice of the brand. So they can, you can have a lot of fun if you want to. Mm -hmm. So that's, if you're just asking yes, no, we're starting and I haven't, we, we've introduced this, but I don't have anyone using it yet. We're starting to do more narrative kinds of um, asks. So instead of just one to five, it's more of you writing a, um, an answer. So for example, the one would be, it was so difficult, I'm frustrated, right? So they could stick, click a radio button and click that answer. So that really means a one. So the one might translate to so difficult, I'm so frustrated, I'm not coming back. Or it was difficult, but you answered, but you, you, you know, I still, I'm still waiting for the answer, but it was difficult. So you could do a narrative. That's a little harder. Yes. You have to think about those answers and what we don't know, because I haven't seen it. I've, I've introduced it, but no one's using it yet. I haven't seen the results. So sometimes when you make the questions too hard or the response is too hard, people don't want to do it. The ease of a, a scale is somebody can just click a button, one, two, three, and you're done, you know? So there's something in the psyche to be said for, yes, I'm happy. And yet yeah, felt like a, a five high level experience to me, or it's like an Uber thing, right? They ask you if you want to make more comments, but how many people actually make more comments? Sure. So you I have to think about it's that. more conversant. Um, and it really like, it changes your mind up a little bit. You're so used to seeing the scales and especially if it's a 10 point scale or- oh, it's torture. That's a torture one. Lost it before you've even started. Mm -hmm. um, First, I thought you were going to say it's an open-ended question. Mm. But this mm. is somewhere Again, but we always give a place for people to put a comment. So there's always, you should always ask for commentary. Right. People will, the ones who want to will. And the thing is who follows up? We follow up. So when you give us a result, we answer you. We, we reach out to you. If, you. if you've had a low score, we particularly reach out and say, same day that we get the result. We say, I'm so sorry this happened to you. Let us fix this. How can we fix this and make it right? 
we go back to our ones, twos, and threes, the low scores, and try to fix them for our clients. The sure. fours, fives, and, and fours and fives, for some, we reach out. It depends on the client. I'd love to be able to do that. We thank them. We surprise and delight them. Thank them for their high scores. So there's both thoughts there. So a lot of thoughtfulness, even though you're, it sounds like, oh, it's just one-sided question effort. There's a lot of nuances and a lot of ways to attack it. Let's talk about how often you might measure this. I, I'm hearing your examples. It would be every time. Or how about this? How, how often would you sort of aggregate the, um, the results and share that with the client? Is that? So two, two, both things I for you. So okay. um, I would recommend doing it on every interaction, unless you have sort of case management. Some, some of the work we do is case management and, and it isn't going to be a one and done. So what we might do is either at the start of the case or when it's closed, when we know that it's going to be a couple of pieces to it, because let's say it's claims management and you have to send something in. So we can't, it's not a complete interaction until we've completed it, then we would send the survey. But normally I would recommend after every interaction, but then if I'm someone who is a repeater, I'm not gonna repeat the survey for the repeater. And you know that in your CRM tools. So you can be programming when the surveys go out. The other thing is if you're sending something, so let's say you wanna know, you know, I'm sending you coupons or a gift card or something. Mm -hmm. And whether it's an email or a call or chat or whatever the media is, however I connected with you, if you send the survey before they receive the item, mm -hmm. they might have had a great time, but then they didn't receive the item. So I don't know. So you have to think about that. I will say that the when you send it out within hours of having the experience, mm -hmm. you get a high response rate, especially if it's an if you can just access it through a text or an email, the survey. Um, and, you know, we usually push it out and it's usually an email. Sometimes it's a text if people have opted in for texting okay. and they do, it's like a, could be a 30%, 40%, 50% response rate to those questions. So it's fascinating. Um, and we sometimes ask two or three. So we ask how happy were you with the person? How easy was it to do business and how likely are you to recommend? So you've got all three scores. And then we report on that usually monthly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And quarterly and yearly. So we look at that. And some people look at it against complaints. They look at it against sales. It's very interesting. You could do so much uh, analysis with that data. Sure. Wow. Okay. Mind blown. Um, let's, <laughs> talk <the results. laughs> let's talk the results then. Um, so you're, you're, you're sharing it with your clients um, at the different um, intervals, frequency, so what does it mean if you, um, or let's go with it, you're missing the mark. So you're, you're not hitting the mark per the organization goal on the customer, on this customer effort score. score. How do you then guide the client? What are some tactical, tangible things they can think about doing? So you really have to look at a couple of things. One easy, low-hanging fruit, I hate that expression, but it is true. The easy thing to start with is... Yeah. What's the policies or processes uh, that are creating this friction? What are you making the consumer jump through that's causing them to say, it's a lot of, it's hard to be your customer. It's hard to do work with you. So the easiest thing would be to just look at what do you do on an everyday basis? Are you not empowering the frontline? Can they not, are their hands tied because of process and policies that really need to be looked at? Another approach, which will get you deeper and probably a more thorough, better approach, but it takes longer, would be to, to do journey maps. 
and to really map out that experience, which I highly recommend everyone does, does a map, pick a process, pick an opportunity, pick a brand. You could start with a map at any level and, and then you do a high level and then you dive in and do another one. So you do layers and layers. It's like asking why questions, why do we do it this way? But it's visualization of those whys. And when you visualize it, you have a lot of aha moments where you can say, ah, this is why. This is what happened. This is what we need to attack and address. And I recommend doing a journey map with a partner. And I don't mean just in the consumer affairs or customer service organization. I mean with marketing, with compliance, with quality. Very important because sometimes the process is because of something they've directed you to do. And when you see it and you see the experience, everyone has that aha moment and you can make that slight tweak, whatever it may be, which is absolutely gonna impact the scores and the performance and the loyalty and repurchase and all of that stuff. Yeah. So you're looking for the pain points. Hopefully yeah. you're a trusted partner, uh, internal client, and then you can sort of jo more jointly attack, okay, how do you remove that pain point? How could you mitigate it? Yeah. Okay, got it. Well, I, I think that a lot of times, we've heard this over the years, I'm sure, many people have shared this over the years, people always, not people, some people always feel when they're leading a service organization, they don't have a seat at the table or they're not heard. Um, how do I get myself heard? What's important out there? Because they don't, they're not their own entity. They report up to marketing or legal or QA or R&D or whoever. Everybody reports to somebody at some point. Um, but if you partnering and you're pulling them in and they can understand it and, and live it and breathe it with you, it makes so it's such brings such clarity to the organization and to you. So when you're talking about your organization and you're talking about, you can talk about numbers all you want, but what do they mean? When you talk about experiential things, now you have everyone's attention, especially when you put them together. We helped a million people this year, and here's how they felt about that. Mm. Put a million people, or at least a third of those million people, you know, Nielsen represents what billions of people. Our little world represents our million clients and here our customers, and here's what they've said about us. So you have to think about how you position this. This is rich, rich data that can go a long way in the organization and build such credibility for the customer care department in the company. Perfect. Yes, we're getting to the end of the podcast, sadly. Just loved every, just loved connecting with you really on a personal and professional level. Um, so I just want to check and make sure though that you're still ready to go for your customized, huh? your customized <laughs> double secret bonus question that we're going to record for, for later. Sure. Okay. So you're, you're on board there. Great. Um, and I should also say thank you for taking time out of your Sunday to, to chat with me. It's a pleasure. I love chatting with you, Denise. It's great. It's nice to connect and reconnect and, you know, love talking about this stuff. You can tell I like this a little bit. <laughs> Very passionate about this. Wondering how this podcast was recorded? Well, Zencaster is my secret and it does much more than just record audio and video so I can get the best content to you. Zencaster's aptly named creator network, and it's the perfect place for you to get into podcast ads and sponsor your favorite creators like me. Zencaster matches you with the best podcasts so your budget gets to the right audience and can maximize your advertising campaign budget. 
post-read ads, like what I'm doing here, are the most effective form of podcast advertising. Zencaster works with podcasters to help create unique to them ad spots that create brand awareness and conversion. Interested in sponsoring this show or podcast ads for your business? Go to zen.ai forward slash my curious colleague one. That's zen.ai forward slash my curious colleague. Colleague is C-O-L-L-E-A-G-U-E and then the number one. And fill out the contact information so Zencaster can help you bring your business story. To life. If you've learned even a kernel of an idea or was inspired by this episode, please consider rating and reviewing the podcast on Apple Podcast. Be sure to share out the hashtag CPGCX because CPGCX really and truly rocks. You have been listening to the My Curious Colleague podcast with Denise Veneri. Thank you for your time. 